Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So we're going to explore a discourse uh, as um, part of this uh, sutta series tonight, uh, a very central discourse in the Buddha's teaching, the Anatalakana Sutta. If you uh, are familiar with the the story, the Buddha's story, you know that um, before he was enlightened, he uh, he traveled, uh, he did some very um, major austere practices, austerities, for a number of years, for six years. And um, then, and he was traveling around after learning a few different concentration techniques, he was traveling around towards the end of that time with five um, fellow ascetics who had renounced the world. Uh, and as the story goes, um, when he uh, decided, and they were practicing um, self-mortification, starving the body and starving the uh, and and um, um, being quite um, um, austere, and when he decided to um, accept a an offering of some sweet rice um, from from somebody who saw his work, his the other five um, thought that he'd gone soft, and they left him. Oh, Gautama's gone uh, gone soft. He's accepted food, and he's he's uh, he's not doing the real renunciation like we are. And they left him. And as the story goes, after he had he was all alone, uh, and he had done everything he could do, and somehow, as as it's said, he said, "I will sit under this tree." nearby until I become, either die or become enlightened, trying. And fortunately for him, um, he was enlightened in the, under the tree in Bodhgaya. If you ever get a chance to go to Bodhgaya, it's a real power spot. Um, the third generation tree is there. And uh, he discovered what he was looking for, true freedom. It's said that for the next seven weeks, he just was experiencing the bliss of freedom uh, and um, didn't want to, didn't need to, didn't want to do anything except just enjoy his highest happiness. And then he was motivated to teach. Uh, when it's said that he 
was given a vision of seeing that everybody wants to be happy and most everybody was doing just the things that are causing more suffering and that he could share what he taught and it would make a big difference. That there were those with just a, a little dust covering their eye who could see what he saw. So he decided to... Um, first, he, he thought of the teachers, as the story goes, the two teachers who had taught him some deep concentration practices over those six years. Uh, and with his, he had some psychic powers by, by that time. And, but he saw that both of them had died because he wanted to give the news to them. But they were both gone. <clears throat> so then he decided who to share it with. The five that he'd been traveling around with. And he knew that they were around Benares. And they were in a, a town called Sarnath. And he went to, uh, to meet with those five, who at first said, they didn't want to have anything to do with you, with him. No, 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 you've, you've gone soft. And then he said, have you ever known me to lie in all the time we're together? And they said, no, you've always been honest. And he said, well, I got it. I found out what we were looking for, and I want to share it with you. And the first discourse, which is called the Dhamma Chakra Sutta, or Dhamma Chakra Sutta, depending if it's Sanskrit or Pali, is uh, chakra, you know, like chakra, chakras are wheels, and the Dhamma Chakra Sutta is the, uh, the turning of the wheel of Dharma. And with that discourse to those first five, he, outli- he um, outlined the Four Noble Truths, including the Eightfold Path. And understanding that truth of suffering and the cause of suffering and the possibility of the end of suffering and the path leading to end of suffering, one of those five got it, Kondanya. And he must have had a pretty good aura because the Buddha, at that time, uh, he became the Buddha. He referred to himself as the Tathagata. Uh, he saw and he said, oh, Kandanya knows. Imagine, it would not be cool if, if somebody said, oh, you really know. I think you got it, you know, especially if it was the Buddha uh, saying you were enlightened. And the other five, the other four, um, were moved by the teaching, but uh, didn't quite have the the spotless eye of Dhamma uh, awaken their hearts. So he taught a little bit more, and this discourse that we're going to be teaching, uh, uh, I'll be sharing tonight is the second main discourse that he shared with them. And with this one, 100%, 
Everybody got it. <clears throat> so it's a powerful discourse. <clears throat> Are you ready? <laughs> the first discourse, as I said, focuses on suffering and focuses on the how everything arises, everything that arises passes away. And that understanding, that deep understanding is uh, enough to awaken. It awakened Kandanya. Uh, that was the understanding that awakened Sariputta, the, the main uh, disciple of, of the Buddhas, when he heard um, everything that has the nature to arise will pass away. And he became enlightened on that phrase or that, that teaching. So it points to impermanence and with that understanding of impermanence, how there's no lasting happiness. And so there's uh, an, an underlying unsatisfactoriness at least in the, in the sense that there's nothing that will do it for us, and because everything, no matter how good it is, will go, and that we too are subject to old age, sickness, and, and death, we are going to uh, encounter uh, these, uh, these difficulties. So the first discourse, impermanence and the unsatisfactoriness or the, the quality of, uh, of dukkha, of suffering. This discourse is where he shares the third characteristic of existence. And in this teaching, in these teachings, there are three characteristics of existence, sometimes called the three characteristics or the three marks of existence. Anicca, impermanence, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, the selfless nature of reality. And uh, let's see, oh, there's no, no water here. Is there any water? Get some, thanks. Um, and before he he shared um, this discourse. It said that he did um, a little bit of explaining that didn't come down as an actual discourse, but gave some instructions on how he sees the human being. Oh, thanks a lot. And what he what he did was um, deconstruct the solidity of who we think we are by seeing us not just as a person, as some body, but really what comprises a person that he 
separated into five different components called five aggregates or in poly uh in uh sorry in sanskrit the five skandhas s k a uh no s k h a n d a and in san in uh that's in sanskrit and in pali the five khandas same thing aggregates is the word that's usually translated in um into english an aggregate or a skanda just means um a heap or a bundle like there's a a skanda of hay bundled up together so these are kind of just five groups or heaps of how we can understand the human experience we've talked about this from time to time before but this is a kind of setup to the discourse which is all about these five aggregates and which he explained a bit before going into this discourse <clears throat> so the five are form that is this physical body and the other four have to do with the mind feeling perception mental formations and consciousness what does that mean for those who are not familiar with these words those four that make up the mind and sometimes humans in in this teaching are referred to as mind body processes you are a mind body process called you okay feeling is um the the flavor of experience in every moment every everything in your experience has a flavor of either being pleasant unpleasant or neutral so that's the feeling component vedna then and that it's not good or bad every single moment this moment just for instance it might be a pleasant moment for you oh listening to a dharma talk is not nice might be an unpleasant moment well i hope i understand this or uh gosh what do i have to do when i get home or uh feeling a little antsy you know i won't take it personally it's just the mind can go there or a neutral moment okay it's okay it's not great not awful just just the way it is so every single moment has that and that pretty much covers the territory doesn't pleasant unpleasant neutral so he says this is how we take in the world through our physical form and our senses then there's this experience of it, of any of any moment being pleasant unpleasant or neutral then another mental component that uh is intrinsic to being human is um what is called perception which um is is the way that we understand reality that everything that you take in from the moment you were born you are filing away 
in the hard drive here. Oh, this is a bell. Oh, this is a human being. This is a monastery. This is a, um, a, a gathering of people. Uh, a pleasant gathering of people. Oh, this is a not so pleasant gathering of people. And you are filing away all the time according to what your past experience is. This is the skanda or kanda or aggregate of perception, of identifying experience. Okay? So this is this capacity that, that, the, that the mind has. The fourth skanda or kanda or aggregate is mental formations. Besides pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and recognizing experience, we have thoughts about experience. Have you noticed? That keep on coming no matter what. We have thoughts and we have feelings and we have the whole, uh, what sometimes is called mental formation about our experience. This is not bad, not wrong. It's just part of having a mind. That's how it works, which is an important thing to remember when you realize that your mind has a mind of its own. It's just doing its thing, and it's not bad that you're having a lot of thoughts when you meditate. It's just what minds do, and thoughts don't have to be a problem or the enemy. So anyway, that's the, four, that's the third of these mental components, feeling, perception, mental formations, and the fourth of the mental part, or the fifth skanda, Kanda, aggregate, is consciousness itself. That there's something mysterious that comes through this form that has the capacity to know. Not just think. Think is the mind, the mental formations but to register experience. That there is consciousness, there's an awareness that is connecting with the world around us all the time. Making, trying to make sense with that perception or having a reaction of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or having thoughts, whatever. But there is a consciousness, an awareness that we are born with. That we can't even turn off, except when we're asleep. It's just continually registering reality. So these are the, the four of the mind, feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness plus the first one, the form, the body, those are how he took apart the human experience. Mind-body experience. Those five components. 
Okay. By the way, as I'm talking about this, if there's a part of you that's scratching your head, that's saying, well, I don't, I don't quite get it, or I don't know, whatever, just relax and, and let it go. And whatever makes sense to you, fine. Whatever doesn't, fine. I'm thinking right now of, um, I've mentioned it before, I was a huge Bob Dylan fan, um, early Bob Dylan especially, and it was kind of like, if I tried to dissect a Bob Dylan song line by line, it just would never make it. But you kind of get the idea, something kind of sinks through when your mind isn't trying so hard to grasp tightly at the concept. So just if you're finding yourself grasping hard, just relax and see what lands and what doesn't land. Okay, so those are the five aggregates, how he described a human being. And that set up this discourse, the Anatalakana Sutta. And I'll read to you um, a bit of the sutta. It's not that long a sutta, and especially when uh, I don't have to repeat each, each thing because he, he says one thing and then he repeats it for the next and to the next to the next. On the not-self characteristic, and this is, by the way, for scholars uh, or those of you from the Samyutta Nikaya, number 22.59. Thus have I heard, and that's Ananda recalling about this discourse that he had heard the uh, uh, he wasn't there when the Buddha first gave it but he had he had heard it uh, and he heard about it after the fact and this is him sharing it with others who were trying to remember all the teachings of the Buddha after he died at one time the Blessed One was living in the deer park of Isipatana near Benares that's in Sarnath, and there the Blessed One addressed the group of five monks, his five cohorts. This is what he said, form, O monks, is not self. If form were self, then form would not lead to affliction, and it should obtain regarding form, or we could say regarding form, quote, may my form be thus, or may my form not be thus. And indeed, since form is not self, therefore form leads to affliction, and it does not obtain regarding form. We cannot say, may my form be thus, or may my form not be thus. Okay, so let's just stop there because that kind of sets up for the rest of it. What he's saying is if your form belonged to you, if you had control over your form, then you would be able to say, Oh, knee, stop hurting. You know, stomach, 
stop growling. Digestive system, stop farting. Stop getting that diagnosis. But we can't. So he says, in the, in, the, in the sense that you don't have control. You don't have control over what your body does. You can't say that you own it. This is just the way he sees it. And you might just play around with seeing it like this. That it follows its own laws. And it's not yours, so to speak. So that's the first one. Then he goes and says the same thing with the others. Feeling is not self. If feeling were self then feeling would not lead to affliction. And one would be able to say, I'll just translate it that way, may my feeling be thus, may my feeling not be thus. And since that's not so, for feeling is not self. That is, you don't say, I want this to be a pleasant experience. Or I w- you can say, I want it to be a pleasant experience, but... As you probably have seen, the more you want it to be a pleasant experience and it isn't, um, the more unpleasant it gets. Isn't that so? And so it's, it's that you don't really have control over how, um, how experience lands and hits you. Oh, this is a pleasant one. This is an unpleasant. It's just the way it is. The same with perception. You might try hard to um, to see things a certain way, but you will take in the information often distortedly, uh, but according to how your mind processes it, that's the way it is. But you don't have too much control over that processing. Certainly you can think things through and uh, and then change your thoughts or, or perception around, around things, but it just happens automatically. And the same with mental formations. Mental formations are not self. If they were self, then they would not lead to affliction. That is, if we could control what our minds did, we wouldn't get into trouble. But they do lead to affliction. And so they're not self. You can't control, may my mind go this way or may mine go that way. Now you can practice and incline the mind in a certain way, but as far as what comes through your mind at any time, not really. If you can control your mind and only have good thoughts, please come up and speak to me. Uh, And then the same way with consciousness. That consciousness just happens all by itself. You're not trying to make awareness happen. It just happens. 
So then he says, what do you think of this, monks? Is form permanent or impermanent? Now he kind of ties the, the teaching of impermanence. Impermanent, O oh Lord. This body is subject to old age, sickness, death. It's not static. Now, that which is impermanent, is it unsatisfactory or satisfactory? Unsatisfactory, O oh Lord. Now, that which is impermanent, unsatisfactory, subject to change, is it proper to regard this is mine, this I am, this is myself? Meaning, if you can't control it, and it is impermanent, and it causes you suffering, can you say, oh, I can take ownership of this? No, it's just following its own laws. And then he goes through the same thing with feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. And then he says, this is getting towards the end, um, with all of these, then surely whatever form, past, future, or present, internal or external, coarse or fine, low or lofty, far or near, all that, f- all that form must be regarded with proper wisdom according to reality. Thus, this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. And the same with feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. O monks, the well-instructed noble disciple, seeing thus, gets wearied of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. Now, gets wearied can be a tricky thing because one can easily think, oh, I, I've got to get rid of my body and the other four. But it's just that it's, it's tiresome to think this is where my happiness, my true happiness can lie. When you see this game is out of my control. So he's basically saying, if you're trying to control experience, it's very tiresome and it will just lead to more and more suffering. If you try to control this body and mind, it is, um, it's leading to suffering. Being wearied, that is, seeing you have no control, is another way of saying it, one becomes passion-free. You're not trying to control experience. In freedom from passion, one is emancipated and one knows birth is exhausted, lived is the holy life, what had to be done is done. There's nothing more of this becoming. And as he said that, the group of five monks were delighted 
And as this exposition was being spoken, the mind of the group of five monks was freed and became enlightened. And at that time, there were now six arhats in the world. So, I want to talk a little bit more and then maybe have us explore uh, together. In uh, meditation practice, we often talk about not identifying with your experience. If you've done some kind of practice, then you're probably familiar with that term, not identifying with your experience, not taking ownership of your experience, not taking things personally. That's all pointing to this understanding from this discourse that it's all just doing its own thing. Now sometimes people hear anatta, the word anatta comes from um, the derivation is atman, like atman in Hinduism, soul, and anatman, not soul, or not self. And sometimes people hear this and they say, oh, does that mean you don't exist? It does not mean you don't exist. And in fact, the Buddha was asked, is there a self or not a self? And he didn't answer either way. If I said it one way, it would be wrong. If I said another way, it would be wrong. And if you say that I'm saying there's no, there's not, there's no self at all or that you don't exist, you wouldn't be saying the truth. Because on the one hand, you do exist. I'm James, you're you, you have your own history, you have this body that hurts at times and feels good at other times, you have that personality and, and uh, the, the thoughts and the, the ways that you see things that's unique configuration to you. So this is not saying that you don't exist. But what it is saying is that what you call you is not something that you own. This particular discourse is talking about the ownership of experience. Another way to uh, to understand anatta or the selflessness of experience is seeing that this form, this mind-body process, is a continual flow of experience. He doesn't talk about it in this particular sutta, but understanding impermanence in the in the sense that this body itself, this body and mind, is a continual fluid process, that's another doorway into anatta. And sometimes the word, the term emptiness is used, that it's empty of some permanent, solid 
being. But he's talking in regard to taking ownership of these five skandhas. And something quite amazing happens when you start seeing things from this perspective. As uh, you know, I said the three characteristics of uh, dukkha, we'll switch around the order, dukkha, suffering, uh, anicca, impermanence, and anatta, selfless nature. Uh, Wes Nisker has a, a, a simple way of understanding these, these three characteristics. If you really get it, life is hard. It'll put you through changes, but don't take it personally. Very simple. And will radically shift your, the way you are in the world when you see, oh yeah, life is hard. Everything changes, including I get put through a lot of changes. Not taking it personally. The thoughts that come through your head, imagine having any thought come through your head and just saying, oh, that's an interesting one as bizarre or nasty or petty or silly or whatever it is. Oh, it's not mine. I don't have to blame myself for what comes through. Or I don't have to take credit. Hey, look at that thought that came through. That's a pretty cool one. It just comes through all on its own. Now you can train the mind so that there's more of wholesome thoughts that seem to come through. But what comes through at any one time, you don't have much say. Same for your feelings. And this we'll talk about on an emotional level. Imagine going through any emotional state. Sadness, fear, loneliness, rage, lust, obsession, and somehow having an understanding that it's just a mind state arising and I don't have to feel guilty or ashamed or uh, small for just that arising in this field. To have any mind state in the world, any emotion in the world, just looking at a, uh, some, neuros, uh, some brain research that um, they've discovered that the average lifespan of an emotion, if it's not caught up in rumination about it is 90 seconds. That that's, that's on the average. If you could just sit there, as we sometimes do in meditation, and don't, don't set yourself up as a, you know, a, a, for a test to see if you can just get rid of it in 90 seconds. But if you could just sit there and notice, oh, look at that one. 
That's where the liberation is. Generally, it lasts a little more than 90 seconds, as probably you've seen, because then there's, oh, I can't believe I'm stuck in this. Or you keep on hitting the play button and saying, yeah, he really did do that. Yeah, yeah. And we, we don't know how to take our fingers off the button, off the replay. But if we could just see, oh, look at that. And here's fear arising. Or here's obsession arising. Or here's lust arising. Or here's sadness or whatever it is. Oh, look at that. It's like the Buddha saying, I see you, Mara. That's where the real freedom is. Not taking it personally. So, let's see. To um, just bring this home a bit, I invite you to close your eyes. I don't know if we'll have a chance to do triads, uh, but we'll just do a little reflection and then we can open it up to a discussion. And first, let's just go through some of these skandhas, a couple anyway. Your body. What's your relationship to your body? And do you ever get frustrated that it doesn't cooperate the way you'd like it to? When do you have judgments about how your body is operating? Or how it's manifested? Whether it's looks or operating system? And just for a moment, Try on the perspective that your body is just following its own laws and that it's not yours. It's not up to you to control it. You can take care of it. You can exercise it. You can feed it well. But It follows its own laws. And what would it be like if you let go of blaming it or you and just appreciating with amazement that it knows just what to do so much of the time and serves as best it can. Letting go of grasping at the control that you never had.
take a breath. And then turn to the other part of the equation, the mind, which can include perceptions and feeling tone and consciousness, but just for a few moments, turn to the mental formations part. And what, how do you get snagged in taking ownership of your mind or of the emotional states that come through? My anger, my pettiness, my whatever it is, or the feelings that come through. And if you didn't take ownership of them and see them just arising in the space of awareness, all by their own, following their own laws, No need to battle or struggle. Not taking those thoughts or feelings personally. Just part of being human. And holding them in a space of awareness, of kind awareness. Just how freeing it is whenever you remember to not take the body or the mind personally. So we just have a, a few minutes if anything has come up from this subject, um, either any question or comment. <clears throat> Yeah, hang on just one second. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. So, hi. hi. You said something about consciousness coming mm-hmm. and going as well. Mm-hmm. Can you speak further about that? Because that seems like the one thing that isn't coming and going. More what? That seems like the one thing that is not coming and going. That is not coming yeah, so and going. mental formations mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. You know, well, perceptions and mm-hmm. all of these things. In this, uh, and that's, that's a very... Uh, um, can be a very deep exploration, but for the term for this teaching, consciousness is thought of as um, the five physical senses and the the mind. And there's changing from uh, eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, 
body and uh, what is it taste and uh, and and thoughts and and so it's it's changing what it is taking in however it's it's a much deeper question because in 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 some ways one could say there is an underlying um, awareness that knows and depending upon what school there'll be different takes on this however one could easily understand that your consciousness doesn't belong to you it's shining through if it did belong to you um, try looking at this form or have your open your eyes open and see if you can turn it off see if you can not see me it just happens all by itself or see if you can not hear my words hearing happens all by itself and you're not making it happen it's just shining through this form so in that respect it's easy to see that you didn't make do anything to be an agent of that it's just expressing itself through this form called you so thank you thanks one one last oh actually there is it's a quick one and then uh, then we'll go thank you um, if if I shouldn't identify or take personally anything of my mind and body, who who am I that shouldn't identify? Who 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 is the self then? This is a a, mod, a mind body process called you, for want of a better word. Um, and it's if you think of yourself. Here's something that I sometimes have. Have, uh, have done that I, I find helpful to point to this. Um, just close your eyes for a moment and instead of thinking of yourself as a noun, as somebody to whom life is happening, think of yourself as a verb, as a, a field of activity that life is expressing itself through. So it's just life playing with itself and take away the staticness of how you think of yourself and just think of yourself as a verb. And this is what the meditation points to as you see your continual process. There's thought, breath, Sensation, sound, all of these systems happening. It's all happening on its own. And there's a pattern called you. It's just a different way of defining self. Rather than some body, you are a pattern of life that's in continual transformation. And there's nowhere in there that one can point to and say, that's fixed and unchanging in who I am. So that kind of just lightens things up a bit. Okay? Thank you. Okay, so let's, uh, let's just close with a loving kindness and
while there's not a solid self agent making anything happen, you can still send loving kindness to this pattern of life called you and appreciation for it. May this mind-body process called me feel all the love inside and share it well. And see through ownership and identification to wake up to the selfless nature of reality and know the highest happiness. And may all beings see clearly and may all benefit from our coming here together and sharing the Dharma. Okay, thank you very much. You might just play around this week going through your week. See what it's like when you get snagged. Oh, I don't have to take ownership of that thought. How freeing. Or when your body starts annoying you. Oh, it's just doing what it does. And you don't have to blame yourself or it. Kind of frees things up a bit. So, enjoy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.